When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, another Buckeye Retalkables. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and we are doing 2016 Ohio State, Michigan. And guys, I don't even know if I filled out my category sheet on this one. We have been doing Retalkables for a long time now. We have a format, we have a way of doing things. But Nathan, in rewatching this game, this Ohio State double overtime victory in the shoe, in a 2-3 matchup between the Buckeyes and the Wolverines, I was so gobsmacked by the main thing that I thought that I set the categories on fire. So we'll go through them, but I'm, I want to know, Nathan, were you gobsmacked? when you watch this game and then, and then maybe we'll just say, were you gobsmacked or not? And then we'll say, if you were gobsmacked, smacked, what gobsmacked you? <laughs> um, uh, slightly. I was at least like gob glancing blowed. I don't know if you got the actual full smack, but hmm. um, gob. Yes. I'll, I'll just say, yes, okay. there was something about this that yes. You, you watched it and you felt a little something and you formed kind of an opinion Maybe kind of quickly. Yes. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like, a oh, Stephen, Stephen, any gobsmacking going in the Means household there? A lot of gobsmacking. Um, this is the, I think the fourth Michigan game, Ohio State Michigan game we've done of these. And it's the third one where I think in my head it was romanticized. And then you go back and we watch it and it's nothing like what was going on in your head. But this is the worst of those three. So here's the opinion that I formed like basically immediately and never wavered the entire game. This is part of why we are doing this. The 2016 Ohio state Michigan game was a matchup of number two, Ohio state and number three, Michigan. The 2022 Ohio state Michigan game was a matchup of number two, Ohio state and number three, Michigan. And the basically the only opinion I formed in watching this game is that 2022 Ohio State and Michigan would beat the snot out of 2016 Ohio State and Michigan. This 2016 game has more in common with the Woody Hayes game from the early 60s than it does with what Ohio State-Michigan is now. And if we are romanticizing, your word, Stephen, 
Oh, Urban was 7-0. Oh, the Buckeyes knew how to beat Michigan back then. Michigan had no idea what it was doing. It had no idea how to win. It had no talent. It handed a win to Ohio State that Ohio State tried its hardest not to take. And when you think about the way these teams play right now, the talent, especially offensively, on the field, the way they execute now, if we are going to look back and say, well, I don't know, current Ohio State needs to be more like this Ohio State, dear God, please no. Steven, this is not what anybody wants Ohio State to be on the last Saturday in November or any other time. I would make 2022 versions of those two teams 17-point favorites over the 2016 versions of those two teams, and I don't think anybody who watched the game could think otherwise. There's a lot of things about both of these teams that I absolutely hated, and they're both on the offensive side. There was a point at halftime when they're showing the stats, and they are the, they're like stats where it's Ohio State would have those in two drives now offensively. And Kirk Herbstreit had it. He said, he made a point. He said, the pat first of all, he said the passing game has been the thing that's been holding Ohio State back all season, which is hilarious because you would never say that today. In fact, you'd say the polar opposite. The passing game is the only thing keeping Ohio State in the game. But he said they had only thrown one pass that was further than 15 yards. Everything was horizontal and JT Baird left, JT Baird right. And Michigan was even worse because their talent didn't even have names of guys. This this was a this was ugly to watch. And I was really frustrated up until the set the first overtime happened, where basically all the action happened, and all of a sudden both of these teams figured out how to score points. Nathan, Ohio State had eighty one yards in the first half. It was a display as frustrated, as reasonably frustrated as Ohio State fans are by losing the last two games to Michigan. This was a display of incompetence in the Michigan game for a good 51 minutes that seems almost intolerable. It's, it is dumbfounding to watch Ohio State can't do Anything. They are the number two team in the country. They are at home against Michigan. And again, this is primarily discussion for the moment. I think about the two offenses. It's not even Nathan like, oh, the mistakes that Ohio State made. It's that they can't do anything. There's nothing there. And that's what they're putting out into the world as the number two team in the country in the Michigan game. It's not as if there's no talent on the field. Curtis Samuel very good football player has gone on to do things in the NFL. Paris Campbell, very good football player. I mean, there's guys out there that know what they're doing, um, have the talent. But you're right; it just seems from an it, it's it's the it it's from an identity standpoint, something's off. And I actually think this is a historic and historic edition of the game because I think it might end up being the last the game where there was not at least one NFL quarterback on the field for those teams. Because the next year, Haskins has to come in and save Ohio State in 2017. Obviously, he's the quarterback again in 18. Then we're just talking about the Ohio State side of things, Fields, Stroud, and who comes next for Ohio State. You've obviously, uh, Michigan has figured some things out now in the last couple of years from a quarterback standpoint. So it that's almost like the portal. Maybe this is like the portal game between what 
the Big Ten was and what it's going to be now that Ohio State and Michigan are treating the quarterback position the way that they are. It's also the last Michigan game Ryan Day wasn't here for, which, right. That's I mean, this is happened. part of the reason you go get him because the very next time this game is played in Columbus, Ohio State doubled its point total. Literally. Doubled it. All because you made some changes to the offensive coaching staff that after this season because you go from this to not making the Big Ten championship game to getting blown out by Clemson and not scoring a point. You bring in Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson, and all of a sudden you're on the path to have potentially the best offenses in the country for the next five, six years. The thing that is just a particularly worthwhile conversation because it is such a direct comparison it is 2016. It is 2022. It is only six years apart. Ohio State is number two in both games. Michigan is number three in both games. In 2016, Ohio State wins. In 2022, Michigan wins. But if we, this is to inform, it's to remind the loyal, dedicated, educated Ohio State fans who are listening to this podcast. If we would use, well, Look, six years ago, Ohio State found a way to win. Hey, six years ago, Ohio State got it done. Urban got it done. Those Buckeyes were tough. To... It's not. It's just not. Michigan gave it away. And I think when we think about this, of all the things that smacked me in the face and caused me to set my categories on fire, the number one thing I think, Nathan, is the competence and talent level of Michigan and how much that changes the equation here. Because you watch, in the end, they could have taken Jabril Peppers, who is a defensive player and a wildcat quarterback for Michigan in this game, and Curtis Samuel, who is the entire Ohio State offense, and had them play tag in the parking lot, and it would have been as effective as what this was. Because mm-hmm. both those offenses had one guy who scared you in any way. And six years later, Nathan, Blake Corm's not even in the game, but Donovan Edwards is destroying people. For everything, Cornelius Johnson isn't a world beater or whatever. Michigan did not throw the ball to a person who could have done what Cornelius Johnson did in the game last year. And then the Ohio State comparison, it's not even worth making a comparison. I'm not so sure Chip Trainum wouldn't have been the second best Ohio State offensive player in this game behind Curtis Samuel. That idea, but it is Michigan. And, and I will say I did look some stuff up. I wrote before this game and making my pick. And I ended up picking Wilton Spate, who looks like he's throwing a medicine ball the whole game. The Michigan quarterback, he looks like he's from the 30s. And the whole thing going into the game was like starting Michigan – quarterback Wilton Spate might be hurt and might not be able to play and in my prediction I said I'm not sure if Wilton Spate's going to be able to play that's going to hurt Michigan if he can play Michigan's got a chance and then he did play but I picked Michigan I excuse me I picked Ohio State 27-24 while acknowledging this really was it for Michigan I wrote this has to be Michigan's time in the rivalry That was the lead to my pick, Nathan, because Michigan, in the moment, it felt like Michigan had a lot going for it. 
they were really veteran. I think they were good in the trenches. They had Rashawn Gary. They had Jabril Peppers, that kind of stuff, Nathan. But I think when you compare that Michigan team to what Michigan is now, to what Michigan has been the last two years, there's no Aiden Hutchinson on that field. There's no Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards combo on that field. Right? That kind of thing. Michigan has come so far. And on on the thing I think we could take away is that's what number two and three in the country representing the Big Ten looked like back then. This is what it looks like now. The Big Ten's gotten better. Now, yeah. Ohio State, Michigan, the, those teams, that's, a, no, that's an Ohio State team that's number two in the country that's about to get destroyed by Clemson. Now, in 2022, that was a number two Ohio State team that played Michigan that hung with Georgia to the last second. That, I think, is an encapsulation, and Michigan's the same way. They're number two, they're number three. Both programs are so much better now. But, Nathan, how to win talent level, competence, get out of your own way, don't give the game away. That part of Michigan is night and day. And you have to acknowledge that as we try to analyze this, because this Michigan team that you watch, not to only reference myself, but I did cover the game. My headline off the game was Michigan was better, but Ohio State won. I think Michigan's the better team in this game. Yet Michigan, six years later, is also still significantly better than what that Michigan was. It's just Michigan didn't know what to do, Nathan. They didn't know how to play winning football, at least not in the rivalry. Yeah, and this really was, I thought, a, a microcosm of one of the big criticisms of the early part of the Harbaugh era. Now, he's only a couple years in at this point, but he's a quarterback. He had developed two. quarterbacks two. in the past. Yep. You're two. Yeah, he developed quarterbacks in the past. So you might not expect him to have a stud in place already at this point of his career. Um, Wilton Spate, I was trying to, uh, and I, this wasn't a game that I, you know, this was before I was covering Ohio State, obviously, by a few years. So it wasn't a game that I have great memory of. But I'm watching Wilton Spate uh, pass, and I'm trying to think, like, what is that? What does that remind me of? Like, what is that, that hitch that he has? And I finally, um, do you know what a trebuchet is? Doug, you probably know what a trebuchet is with your your, uh, knowledge of uh, French medieval siege tactics. Stephen may, may be less likely. So it's basically like... It's it's sort of a catapult. Like Maybe mechanism. less likely. <laughs> it's 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 like a little. Okay. It's like a catapult. I, I like am a, not familiar. It's it's a it's a it's a tall structure, usually on like wheels or whatever. They could move it around, and it basically it's like there's a counterweight, and it has a big it has a long arm, and then like this strap underneath it that you put a rock in or whatever, and you release the weight, and it f- f- whips it around and flings it downfield. Somebody go on YouTube and look at what a trebuchet is and a trebuchet in action and then go watch Wilton Spate throw a football and it's the same thing. Um, and I think what is probably was distressing it for this rivalry then is that you're like, okay, 2016, that's the best they could do. But Harbaugh didn't figure quarterback out for like another five years. I mean, Cade McNamara quarterbacking Michigan in this game, 2016 game, changes everything. I think Michigan wins this game by four touchdowns. Cade McNamara, who couldn't hold off J.J. McCarthy. Right. Like like, like Cade McNamara, who wasn't good enough to be the starting quarterback for Michigan last year, wins this game. This is Michigan. Steven, did you think Michigan was better? As you watched this game, did you think to yourself, oh, man, Michigan should have won this game? Yeah. Especially, it's not even because they were up by a decent amount of points, which given how these offenses played, you could probably call that a significant amount of points. 
I thought Michigan was just a better football team because Ohio State's entire offense was we have to find a way to get Curtis Samuel the ball, and if we don't, we don't know what to do. And they didn't get Curtis Samuel the ball, like, until overtime. Curtis Samuel in this game only wound up with, let's see, he only – he had – He had 11 touches the whole game. He's the whole offense. JT Barrett runs the ball 30 times in this game. Is that possible? This is so (laughs) bad. Well, this is so bad. But 22 actual runs and a lot of scrambles because he got sacked eight times because Isaiah Prince could Mm -hmm. just, like, not hold his own on that right tackle spot. It it, it was that's so right. bad to the point that I'm thinking at times, why don't they pull him? It's like, oh, wait, that's why they don't pull him. He's still their best option, even if he's not very good. By the way, if we're worried about if the tackle spots don't get figured out in 2023, what yeah. it might look like, go watch Isaiah Prince try to play in the 2016 Michigan game and watch him, like, his ineptitude single-handedly blow up the Ohio State offense half the time. Like that. It's like, oh, what could bad tackle play do to you? This like this, it can do this to you. They have a play. The play at in overtime, in the second overtime, it's a third and nine play. They're down three in the second overtime. They have to kick a field goal to tie, stay tied, or the touchdown to win. They throw a swing pass, Nathan, to Curtis Samuel in the flat with nothing. <laughs> There's a linebacker screaming at him at 100 miles an hour. There are two guys trying to make blocks down the field. It's their third and nine do or die play. And it becomes the play where Curtis Samuel runs around like a maniac and gets eight and three quarters yards that sets up the fourth down JT Barrett play when he hits AJ Alexander in the butt. And we'll get to that later. But like that, that, that was the play call, Nathan. That moment was like, hey, it's third and nine. What are you going to do? And that that is what it is. We are eons past that offensively for Ohio State right now. And it's just ineptitude. It's Ed Warner. It's Tim Beck. It's Urban Meyer. Like, this is the best we got. It's JT Barrett. This is the best we got. JT Barrett throwing the ball is awful in this game. And and now it's like, it sounds like we're mad at Ohio State. It's like that we're mad at 2016 Ohio State. I know it sounds like that. I think, Stephen, you used the exact right word off the bat. I think we are mad at the idea of anyone romanticizing this and thinking now what Ohio State needs is more of that. And we are here to tell you it's no. Nathan, that third and nine play, it's vile. <laughs> it's, Curtis Sam- it's Curtis Samuel all by himself because nobody on the offensive staff Nobody on the offensive line, the quarterback, no other receivers. They couldn't think of anything else to do. And so they said, here, Curtis Samuel, save us. And he did. And they wind up winning the game as a result. If he just gets tackled by the linebacker there for like a three-yard loss, which is what should have happened, setting up a fourth and 12 for the game, that play call, like that play call becomes like a symbol of the end of the of the most inept Ohio State offensive era since, you know, the early 60s or something. It blows your mind, Nathan. So you and I recently recorded a podcast about Ryan Day and our uh, the confidence in him now and the evolution that he's been undergoing. And if you think about 2016 Urban Meyer, he has three national championships in his back pocket. 
Um, now, one won with a unique quarterback situation, but the first two won with a not NFL elite passer type of quarterback, a, a more like JT Barrett type quarterback in what Tim Tebow was, and more just a football mm-hmm. player first who plays quarterback. And, and an excellent, excellent football player. And I, I want to make sure that JT Barrett is considered an excellent football player because he was. Uh, but I, this is a little bit of not a in this game, but in his, not in in his life, game, in, in his life, in general, yeah, in, general. in this game, in general. And in <laughs> and uh, you would have a better perspective on this. But this game, coupled with then what happens against Clemson and especially what happens against Clemson led by Deshaun Watson had to be such an eye-opener for Urban Meyer. And we, we sort of quibbled, I was talking to you about the difference between evolution and kind of being uh, pushed into a corner and, and having to adapt. And maybe that's what's happened with Ryan Day on, on, a, on a couple of things um, and having to just make a change. But I would give Urban Meyer some credit here for doing what he did to go get Ryan Day to both change the thought process of the offense change the way that you think about calling plays and setting up an offense and also the kind of quarterback you were going to then uh, produce and cultivate. I mean, cause then now you've got, you already have Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins in your program, developing them ready to take that next step. And this game is again, it's, it's like it's two sides of it's, it's the stargate or whatever, right? You're like on one side, you're in the previous – this is the last – this is as far as you could walk in the previous version of Ohio State football history. It kind of goes to the conversation, the pod we recently did about the national championship conversation because it's almost – even though Meyer had already won his national championship at Ohio State, it's this game, the changes that happen after this game, bringing Ryan Day on and the way that now they recruit the most important position and develop it in the world, in the, in the game – that almost is what changes the expectations of how often that should happen because it's it's a big leap forward in the into modern football for Ohio State. They could have gotten they could have gotten caught up. They could have they could have not pulled the trigger on this. They could have gone for uh, they could have doubled down on what they were and what their identity was. But I think Urban Meyer, for all the criticisms that you might level against him, and I've certainly leveled some. I think he deserves credit from a football standpoint for setting the wheels in motion for what Ohio state is now. But I think what's crazy about that is the evolution is already on the roster. They just needed someone better to guide it. Like you just Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow are here already. Dwayne's a true, a true freshman. Joe Burrow's is a second year guy here, a redshirt freshman at this point, Terry McLaurin and Perry, the guys who like Joe Burrow, the number one pick in when Austin, but the guys who were part of the, the real change in 2018 in that passing attack are already here with Dwayne Haskins and Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and KJ Hero. They're just younger and in the background and not ready to do it yet, but they also don't have the coaches in place ready to guide that in the right direction. It does make me feel better about thinking Tim Beck is terrible. I just would like to say mm. that, that, that they're <laughs> Sometimes I think, well, I don't know. Then he went to North Carolina State. Now he's the head coach at Coastal Carolina. Nope. Terrible. This is his quarterback. This is his second year of being the quarterback's coach, and T.T. Barrett can't throw a slant. 
And the conversation, like you're being very nice to JT Barrett. JT Barrett is a fine fella. He's a great Buckeye. If you're trying to figure out, remember how, like, we used to talk a lot about, like, man, I don't know, like, Ohio State fans, do they love JT Barrett? Are they sick of JT Barrett? Whatever. It's like, oh, this. Okay. Sorry. Forgot about this. It's like, this is not functional. This is not functional football. Their whole offense at the end of the game is a quarterback draw because they can't do Mm -hmm. anything else or let the offensive line get beat, hold the ball, scramble, because there's no functional passing offense. Actual receivers have six catches in this game for Ohio State. JT Barrett overall is 15 of 32 for 124 yards with eight sacks and a pick. No touchdowns. The actual receivers, Noah Brown, three for 40. KJ Hill, two for 19. Dontre Wilson, one for nine. Steven, I'm done. I'm leaving. Finish it up. I can't do it. Who would have to relive this? Uh, Back in uh, Urban used to beat Michigan. What's wrong with that? This is awful. Sorry, it's nobody's fault. Congratulations, they won. This is awful, Steven. It's awful. This is non-functional, incompetent, offensive football. Tim Beck is terrible. Oh, say it. Let it out. Tim Beck is terrible at his job. It feels good. I was right all along. I knew it. I was right. He stinks. This is awful. What is this? Steven, Urban falls to the ground at the end of this game. It's like Urban collapses on the ground. I wanted to collapse. What was this, Steven? I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Tim Beck is terrible at his job. This is awful. Steven, go ahead. Sorry. I'm not sure who did a bigger disservice to Ohio State in the development of pretty talented players between Tim Beck and Bill Davis at this point, because I'm pretty sure, because at least Bill Davis, we never really got a chance to see the best of Baron Browning. So he just broke Baron Browning and the rest of these linebackers from day one. JT Barrett was like on a Heisman Trophy trajectory. And then like Tim Beck came in, Tim Beck broke JT Barrett and he never recovered. And let me tell you why, because then Ryan Day came in. And the thing is I paired with this game. I went and watched Ryan Day interviews from the following spring. And every question was a different variation of, Hey, how are you going to fix JT Barrett? And Ryan Day's trying to find nice ways to go. Listen, I don't know if I can fix him. I think he is what it is because this is as bad as JT Barrett was this day. This is also not the worst game of his career. That would come a year later against Iowa when he opens the yeah. game with a big six. So it's like it's it's not like, oh, he bought him out and now it's only up from here. There's another step lower that JT can go, and you just it comes back to Tim Beck broke JT. And I'm not saying JT Barrett would be a first round draft pick NFL player, even a second round draft pick NFL player right now. But I think he would have been draftable the way his career kind of started here at Ohio State. And then you brought in Tim Beck, and it broke him, and he never recovered. I'm going to set this podcast to Ed Warner. He's Tim. Mm. He's Ed. Together they don't know what to do. They can't call any plays. He's Tim, and he's Ed. They're awful. This is awful offense. I need a break. We'll be back on Buckeye Talk. All right. (laughs) We'll run through the categories at the end. There's one other thing that I thought. I think I would take seven players individually from this Ohio State defense before I would take any players from 2022, Nathan. And if we were just having a draft, not on what they're going to be, not on like future JT Tuimolowal, not on future, hey, my call of year three might be good, not on, hey, Denzel Burke got his stuff together. The game is about to start. 
And out of 2016, step these defensive players. And out of 2022, step these defensive players. As they are right in that moment. Because, Nathan, this Ohio State defense had 15 guys in that game who played at least 30 snaps defensively. 11 of those 15 would be drafted in the first four rounds of the NFL draft. There are 15 guys who play 30 snaps or more. There are five first rounders, two second rounders, three third rounders, and a fourth rounder. Tommy Eichenberg is great. And now I almost do feel bad about Bill Davis. It's like, ah, Bill Davis stinks. It's like, do you watch Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker play in this game? They don't win this game without Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan. And then you throw in Garyon Conley and Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward at corner. You throw in Malik Hooker at safety. You throw in Nick Bosa and Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis and Jalen Holmes up front. Nathan, the, the defense obviously saves them, but also... As much as we're like, oh my gosh, this version of Ohio State is so much better. The defensive talent discrepancy. And maybe in 2023, Ohio State will get closer to that. But you see what these guys do. You watch Raekwon McMillan play in this game. You watch Jerome Baker play in this game. You watch Nick Bosa play in this game. Freshman Nick Bosa. Nathan, holy guacamole. I think they can, could get back to this. It's what they need to get back to. But it's also a reminder, they're so far past what the 2016 offense was in this game for Ohio State. If they could get back from a talent level defensively, and maybe it'll be this year, but if they can get back to something like this talent level from 2016 and pair that with a completely new offense, you could really have something because this is a good Ohio State defense, Nathan. I think you have to acknowledge that. It's a great Ohio State defense. And as you're watching the game, again, as I did without as much um, perspective on having watched it before, it's just the roster of NFL guys that keep scrolling through there. Like it took you a while to even name Nick Bosa. And I know he's only a freshman, but he's like the guy there. It's like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm coming along, too. <laughs> like all these amazing uh, players, these guys who are going and like and the secondary. I mean, uh, again, it, it's it's games like this that also are a, a different portal of sorts because you're in this era now where Ohio State has not had a first has not had a first or second day player from the secondary drafted in like the last three drafts. Like it's there's a drought that is going on here. Um, Ohio State just has not been producing upper echelon guys in the back end of this defense. And here you have this abundance of riches. You have at, at every spot, it's seemingly um, an NFL bound guy, as you say, like 11 out of the 15 guys who played. So it's it it's the reason Ohio State won this game. Ohio State won this game because of its defense. It didn't win this game because the kicker figured things out. It didn't win this game because of the spot of that ball. And it didn't win this game because of Curtis Samuel's run. Like all those things were important. It won this game because the defense gave it a chance to win this game. It wasn't quite as bad as what Iowa has been producing the last two years, but the concept of this team can't score without its defense. Yeah. It's a little bit prevalent because they're, I mean, they had a pick six in this game. I think they had six on the year and Malik Hooker had three of them. So that, I mean, it was, it's, there's some similarities. It's just not as bad as what Iowa is doing because come on, Iowa. But this game, this season, makes 2019 it's, – it's, it's even more validation. that 2019 is such an outlier to have both sides of the ball be that good because from 2016 up until this – up last season, it's either 
you have an elite offense or you have an elite defense and the other side of the ball just won't get out the way because it's it's just not up to par. And it's it's and there was a point where a defense called a timeout and you see Luke Fickle, linebackers coach, defensive coordinator, Larry Johnson, heyday of himself as a defensive line coach, uh Kerry Combs as his defensive back coach, heyday of what the cornerbacks were here. And then it's kind of the last time you see it. Because then things you know, business gets in the way. You know, uh, Luke Fickle goes to Cincinnati after the season, I believe. Kerry Combs leaves after the following season to go to the NFL. Larry John of what this elite defenses were in the early 2010s, Larry Johnson's the only one left, and he's older now. And so it's it's just it's it's a it's an interesting thing to watch from that perspective, but also to the Nick Bosa point. <laughs> Nick Bosa didn't play enough as a true freshman. Because yeah. I know he's yeah. young and like we're gonna get to the pup category and I think we're all gonna pick pick him, but it's like that dude was awesome and he made he got a sack at a very pivotal point of this game. So even as a young Nick Bosa coming off an ACL injury in high school, he's already, I think, the best defensive end of this group. That's a pretty deep group. Taquan Lewis plays sixty six snaps in this game. Sam Hubbard plays fifty four. Nick Bosa plays thirty two. Nick Bosa plays thirty two. I think if we were drafting the 11 best defensive players combined from 2016 Ohio State and 2022 Ohio State, I think you'd take nine from 2016. I think you'd take Malik Hooker, Raquan McMillan, Jerome Baker, Marshawn Lattimore, Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, Draymond Jones, Denzel Ward, and Nick Bosa. And then I think you would take Tommy Eichenberg and either JT Tuimolo or Zach Harrison from 2022. And that's how you would break that down. Uh, Which is crazy, and it's crazy because then if you change the question to how many guys would start, then you might not take any Ohio State guys just because the three Ohio State guys from 2022 you learned, you named. I don't think I'm starting. No, I'm not starting Tommy Eichenberg over Raekwon McMillan, and I'm right. not starting Zach Harrison or JT Tuimaloa over any of these defensive ends. Yeah, I think you would take the entire, you would take everybody from 2016. It's, it's, yeah. just, it's really good. And as you said, they're guys who make plays that make a difference here. Okay, let's get to categories. We'll go a little faster through the categories than we normally do because I had uh, a meltdown to start the uh, podcast. (laughs) Who owned the game, Nathan? Who owned the game? Dominating player. My who owned the game is the passage of time. That, like, we got (laughs) away like that. Like tw- like Ryan Day can own this game. 2022 Ohio State can be like, well, we're better than that. Like that, I don't know. Who did you have owning the game, Nathan? Well, honestly, that was one of, I thought, the options here was to just say Ryan Day owned this game because this opens the door for, I mean, Ryan, Ryan Day's real estate agent owns this game because this is what <laughs> his, his accountant, his tax guy, whoever, like that's who owns this game. Um, but I also, I think you make a case for Luke Fickle to orchestrate and and set up a defense that is what we just said, everything that it was. And then you've got Luke Fickle soon after this heading off to do uh, bigger things with Cincinnati. And this is part of the resume builder for him to, to show that, I mean, you could, you could take this into that, to that uh, uh, interview process and be like, Hey, remember when that Ohio state team was going against the number three team in the country that was actually probably better than it and didn't have uh, any kind of an offense and was kind of just farting around out there. Look at what my defense did. We went to the playoff because my defense won this game. That's good. I think that's a good one. Uh, Steven, who'd you have owning the game? Fickle was my actual one, but I had two joking ones along with you guys. Um, My first one was the NFC West because 
The 49ers <laughs> were so bad in that division that that entire coaching staff got fired, paving the way for Ryan Day to need a new job. And my second one was LeBron James because he's LeBron. And also because the last two times he's been in an Ohio State football game, the offense just decided that it didn't want to show up to play, whether it's this year or the Notre Dame game. Yeah, we will we will talk more about LeBron and uh, and the Cavs hanging out at the game in some later categories. Uh, yeah, this is this is remarkable. There's a part of me that after watching this, I can't believe Ryan Day didn't demand like four million dollars a year oh to come be the offense coordinator. Like we were, I was like when he got in year two when they bumped him to a million, I was like, I don't know, million dollar offensive coordinator. After this, this is like the Jim Knowles thing. It's like the Ohio State defense show him what they did against Oregon. It's like, all right, Jim Knowles, what do you want? We'll pay whatever it takes. That it wasn't the same for Ryan Day coming in as offensive coordinator is kind of crazy. Uh, JT Barrett, underappreciated player of the game, not eligible. JT Barrett, because he does not qualify in this category in this game for what he did. Uh, just to be clear on JT Barrett, he is 15 of 32, 124. He runs it 30 times. As Steven said, there's eight sacks in there. 30 times for a net of 125 yards. Nathan, who did you have as the underappreciated player, if any? Yeah, there's there's underappreciated, and then there's the opposite of appreciated. Those are That's two different concepts. <laughs> um, I think you yeah. can throw out any number of guys on defense. I mean, Chris Worley had 11 tackles in this game. That was a name that, that jumped out to me. But, I mean, really, it's um, – as, as we already said, like defensively, it's just across the board. There's competence at every single position, and not that there aren't mistakes here and there. As you're in in, in any kind of talent equated game, the other team's going to win some. But um, a, a lot of guys, I think, on defense that you could pick for this. Jeff, somebody, Stephen. Yeah, I had the linebackers as a whole. Um, Required McMillan, J- uh, Jerome Baker, and Chris Worley. Thirty-two com- total tackles with Rayquan McMillan, and with all three of them being in double digits, that's impressive. But also when they're playing an incompetent offense. That's probably what happens. And another guy, just to throw him out there, Draymond Jones. Uh, Second-year Draymond Jones was out there making a lot of plays. He had seven He had seven tackles, and three of them were solo, and he had a TFL on this game as well. And I think so we're going to talk a lot about these defensive ends and how deep they were there. But second-year Draymond Jones on the interior as a guy that they took from an edge rusher and turned him into an interior guy, that, that plan that was already starting to work in year two. He had a snap late in the game, like, they replayed it, his get off on the line. He's yeah. just like exploding and splitting a double team late in the game. And it's like, that is a gifted defensive tackle that not a lot of guys can do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think Draymond's a good one. Slob moment. Is it just anybody making their normal block, which would again, disqualify Isaiah Prince. I don't know why. We can't, it's just, there's bad football being played. These are like big time dudes. This is Pat Elfline. This is Billy Price. This is Michael Jordan. These are draft picks here. It's Marco Jones. These are draft picks here, Nathan. What did you, did I, I did think, I didn't write down the guys that the Curtis Samuel touchdown to win the game. They had a convoy mm-hmm. out in front. There were some dudes making some blocks there. So that was pretty good for that. Nathan, do you have anything else? So this one might not necessarily qualify because, um, I think of slob moment being more like somebody going downfield and engaging someone or hitting a hole or whatever. But as much as pass pro was a problem all game, there was a huge play in the fourth quarter where the the pass pro did hold up on a, on a play where it might've otherwise been a coverage sack and JT Barrett eventually broke off and got a first down scramble near the red zone. I think that set up one of those, uh, one of the scores, 
at a, at a juncture of the game where every score was crucial. So I kind of threw that in there. Um, but no, I mean, this was not a, uh, as much as the offensive identity had issues, the, 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 the uh, lack of struct, the lack of inte- structural integrity that the offensive line could provide was also a big problem. I think the biggest play any wide receiver made in this game was Noah Brown's like crack block. I think mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter that sprung Mike Weber open for a little bit and got him a little, a few more yards than he should have gotten. Um, but no, nothing. The offensive line, unless a, a play was going, which was also going left, unless a play was going left, there wasn't any chance of it being successful. You know, they, they had a good read early in the game, I think, where JT Barrett kept it. And you can see Jamarco Jones at left tackle seals off this guy. And, like, the, mm. there is – this is – there are moments when this read option, Urban Meyer offense, is working. And it's like, okay, well, you know, you make a read. You have a quarterback who's a run threat. And you can see how it gets there. But there's also – anytime when they're not doing that, it just bogs down. It's just – there's just there's absolutely nothing there. Malik Hooker, where did he come from award, Stephen? I, I guess, I don't know. Would Malik Hooker be eligible for this? Because he did have a pick six. No, yeah, no, yeah. His was a pick six. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just going to pick Malik Hooker because it's not even about this game. It's just about this season because, I mean, he, I, I, this dude was not like a five-star recruit. And this was just – we talk about Marshawn Lattimore, how he used this year to catapult himself, but that's a top 100 recruit using his third year to do what top 100 recruits do. Malik Hooker turned himself into a superstar and probably one of the best defensive players of the last decade for Ohio State, and this game was just more validation of that. You do see – and I, I we're trying to apply some stuff to the modern day. There are moments where Malik Hooker's just kind of hovering, it feels like. Like yeah. he's floating. He's just – sensing things and there's a part of me that says is that what Sonny Styles could do like just get him on the field and let him hover and float and menace and be around and be in the right place Nathan and so even on Hooker and we'll talk a little bit about more it's like Rayquan McMillan tips it Hooker's in the right spot he makes the pick but there are guys who are just where the ball winds up they're in a passing lane they're in there they're breaking as the play is happening and they they put themselves in good spots. And there's a part of that in watching Willie Cooker do that, Nathan, that I think I don't is that is that what whatever the position is, is that what Sonny Styles could be? So did you have Malik? Do you have somebody else, Nathan? No, I think Malik's the right pick here. And I, I think you're right that that I feel is always what Ohio State should be building towards. At some point, find a guy back there who uh, his position is Sonny Styles. Just as and we brought this example up a million times. Like at one point, um, Isaiah Simmons's position for Clemson was Isaiah Simmons. Like you, I got a guy back there who can do a lot of things, is really versatile, but his main job is to be whatever you need him to be on that particular snap. And and you can be it can be um, aggressive, it can be reactionary. You've got a lot of options there. So I think that that's sort of what they've been building towards. It's just a matter of like finding the right guy at the right time of his career to unleash him in that way. We'll see if that's what Sonny Styles can be in 2023. I think it's something that Sonny Styles can be before he leaves. As much as, you know, as they could have used Malik Hooker this season, this upcoming season or even last season, they're running like a different scheme now. Kerry Combs could have really used Malik Hooker in 2020 and 2021 when they were still running that single high thing where it's just sideline to sideline. This is where like, having a Malik hooker who just 
erases all problems because there are now turnovers going for touchdowns would have really come in handy those two years Kerry Combs was back as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, nobody was better at that as a sideline to sideline safety. That, that's a that's a great point. Some coaching stuff we always do. Jim Trestle punt or not to punt moment and the Bill Davis, Tim Beck questionable coaching moment. Jim Harbaugh like broke a clipboard and got a penalty in this game. (laughs) Urban seemed to be sort of living on the edge and it it felt like Urban was sort of watching the game happen to him in some ways, as opposed to, again, if people are like Urban, it's like Urban's freaking out, Nathan. Urban is, Urban is on the surfboard and just letting the waves take him and hoping he gets to shore. And he got there, and then after the game, he was like, this was one of the great (laughs) wins in Ohio State-Michigan history. And it's like, dude, you were hanging on for dear life. What did you have for any of the coaching categories? What did you think of the coaching in this game, Nathan? Well, it was, yeah, it was was messy at times. I mean, so the the fake punt deep in Ohio State's own territory in the third quarter, um, was that Cam Johnson's read? Was that Urban Meyer's decision? What do you remember about that play? I don't know. I don't remember. I can try they to said, look what they said. Well, no, Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit said so. He was like, Urban Meyer had said during the week, if we get this certain look from Michigan, right. we're doing this. Which, okay, <laughs> you gave away your game well, plan, but all right. Well, they, they they say that stuff in in those meetings all the time. That doesn't come out until the broadcast. Yeah. Um, they're not saying it to Michigan. It wasn't. That's it fair. wasn't. It wasn't said in a public press conference. I'm sure. Um, and oh, right, and I right, think right. either way that. Either way, that means that the decision might have been correct, um, whether it was Cam Johnson deciding to do it, whether it was Urban Meyer making the call that if you see this, you have to do this. Um, it's just it, it's a very uh, high risk, high reward situation there. But also the, the one that I keep coming back to. Oh, also, Michigan, if you're going to do the stupid train formation thing. Where you all stand in a line and you run up the line at the last second and snap it. So you're essentially not setting your line really ahead of time um, and giving yourself a split second to react, then you can't give up a sack. Like you can't like it, you look like idiots. So uh, that also irked me, uh, but also, so should Michigan have gone for two at the end of the first overtime? Well, that Walton Spate wanted to. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. The quarterback is like, let's do it. So Michigan does that in 13 and doesn't get it. I think underdogs go for two in that circumstance. I think Michigan felt like the better team. Mm-hmm. And so even though I, you're on the road, you don't feel overmatched. And as it turns out, you know, they do a little bit. They get a field goal in the second overtime. And Ohio State's running a swing pass with nothing on third and nine. And if they make a tackle there, it's going to be fourth and 12. And Ohio State's got to pick up the first down or kick a long field goal but, with a terrible field goal kicker. So I think, I think, I agree with not doing it. You think maybe they should have, though, Nathan. Gone I for do, two. because, yeah, because there's a difference between being the underdog for the afternoon or the underdog going into the game and who's the underdog in the moment. And by the time you get down to an overtime game where you're each trading possessions, you're on the road, um, the other team is the one that maybe has a little bit of momentum coming out of regulation, I think you're the underdog now, and I think you have to act accordingly. And I think you're the one who just scored. You have their back against the wall. You have a little bit of momentum. Uh, they have a lot to lose, uh, as do you. But I think I would still – I want to control what I can control right in front of me 
rather than take a chance. Also, you go out and have to play another four downs just as they do, and your team has been giving the ball away left and right. So you're taking the chance that that could happen again, too. I would just you should always have that play in your back pocket, right? Like that three yard play that you can get no matter what or that three yard play that you're having to use in that situation. That's what I would have used right there. Urban and Jerry DiNardo rewatched this game during the pandemic. I missed it at the time. They did an hour rewatch in the Big Ten Network. This is what Urban said about the fake punt. The drive before we started losing the line of scrimmage, and I always have the plan to win written in a manila folder I always have on me, and I had my momentum plays. A momentum play might be a reverse. It might be a trick play. It could be a fake punt. We had to check. If they were going to be in rush mode, we were not going to run it. And they were in a holdup, and we had a chance, and we just missed a block, and Cam got sacked. And then you're sick to your stomach. And then, by the way, Michigan did go in and score a touchdown off that failure. So it's always one of those things. This is, it's, it's one of those things that's difficult. It's like, well, it was a perfect play. We just didn't execute the block. It's like, well, I don't know. Sometimes you have to plan for not executing the thing. And if the whole thing comes down to our defensive end has to make a block, guess what? I mean, I know he's playing special teams. It's Sam Hubbard didn't make the block. And it's not like he whiffed. It's like the Michigan guy got off the block. The Michigan guy made a good play. Sometimes when coaches are like, well, you know, if we do this, it's like, well, guess what? You don't do the thing 100 times out of 100 when the opponent's good. And by the way, you're asking a player to do a thing that isn't a specialty. So uh, that's unurban. That's unurban. But it's not, to your to your point, Nathan, and what you were saying, Stephen, it's not a, oh, my gosh, what is Cam doing? That's from the mm-hmm. coach. Like, they planned that. They got a look. They chose to do it, and it didn't work. And it could have been terrible. What did you think, Stephen? Do you think they should have went for two, and what did you think of the coaching? No. I don't think they should have went for two. I think at that point, because you kicked the field goal, now you're about to get the ball back. And it's a situation where if we score, I think our defense can stop Ohio State's offense because for the most part, it had been doing it all afternoon. I think that's a good conclusion to come through to when you've seen how this game played off. Had we been going, had this been a 2022 situation where Ohio State's offense is what it is today, I would probably have voted in a sense of go for two because you can't. You can't depend on your defense to continue to stop this Ohio State offense. That's not the case in 2016, so I get why you just kicked the field goal. I I don't think the coaching was that bad outside of stuff like you know the, the, the fake punt, and then there was a situation late where they go forward in the goal line situation. I don't think they would have done that had some missed field goals hadn't happened earlier in the game that made you maybe have to rethink some things. I think the coaching was fine. I just think the talent on both sides of the ball limited what these coaches could actually do anyway. I did think I was looking at the stuff I wrote after that game. I also wrote a thing that was like the five ways Michigan gave the game away. And one of the things that I thought was awful and and was awful is they call that drop back play action pass in the end zone where Ohio State blitzes Raquan McMillan and Jerome Baker. McMillan gets through, tips the pass, it turns into this pick six. You're deep in your own territory. Why are you running play action in your own end zone with Wilton Spate in a game where you feel like the better team? Be conservative there, run it three times, punt it out, play field position. That was an unnecessary risk by Jim Harbaugh to put a a bad quarterback in a tough spot. And then like from the coaching stuff, and it is, and I did think about this a little bit, by the way. So let's talk about that play there for a second, since I did bring it up. This is all we talked about in the moment back then. Luke Fickles is a defensive coordinator. It's also year one of Greg Schiano at Ohio State at this point. So Shiano and, and Fickle are co-defensive coordinators. 
And Shiano, by the end, in 18, Shiano's spinning in circles, trying to land triple suplexes as a, and just the, the defense is a mess. What he's trying to have them do in 18 when he's kind of the guy by himself and nobody can reel him in is awful. In 16, I think Luke and, and Shiano work pretty well together here. But this was all a Shiano thing. And it's the idea that when you're rushing a right-handed quarterback and your instinct is like, I'm not going to get there. I'm going to put up my hand to try to tip it. You're a right-handed player. Your instinct is to put up your right hand. But they they talked about match the hand, match the hand, match mm-hmm. the hand, which is if it's a right-handed quarterback, you've got to put up your left hand. So Raekwon McMillan rushes, puts up his left hand, and tips the pass with his left hand that Malik Hooker then intercepts and takes in for a pick six. And all we talked about after that was like, Greg Schiano brings match the hand to Columbus, and it won the Michigan game. So that moment, but the other thing I thought of, Nathan, was this is a moment, right? Kind of early in the game. It's a tight game early. You're still trying to figure out what's going on, and they blitz two linebackers. And it works, and it turns into a pick six. In 2022, in a tight game early, Jim Knowles blitzes, puts a corner on an island. They don't get the J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy gets it off. Cam Brown misses the tackle, and you give up a touchdown. And so I was like, why is he blitzing? Sit back and make the quarterback beat you. If Walton Spate gets this out, all you know, right? Ohio State's being aggressive here. Luke Fickle and Greg Schiano are being aggressive deep in Michigan territory in an early matchup, right? You're trying to – and it – it like turns the game, Nathan, and Jim Knowles tried to do that, and it turned the game the wrong way. So again, we're talking about 16 versus 22. Oh, 16, Ohio State finds a way. 22, they don't. Like, what is it? Is it being too aggressive? Is it not being too aggressive? Is that the people involved in the play are Raekwon McMillan and Malik Hooker instead mm-hmm. of whoever blitzed for Ohio State and Cam Brown? Yes. And that's a, that's a talent thing, it. which is not Jim Knowles, yes. which also – Jim Knowles is not responsible for the talent on the field because he wasn't here to recruit it. He is responsible to know what is the talent that we have and what are they capable of. And if you want to let it rip with Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker, two NFL linebackers getting after it and Mm -hmm. an NFL secondary behind it protecting you, let's let it rip. Because even if it goes wrong, Marshawn and Malik and Garyon and Denzel will figure it out. As opposed to if we don't get home – we might be on fire. So, Stephen, I'll let you. You're jumping in. Like, what do we make of that, Stephen? It's the risks of the game, and we're letting Knowles off the hook. Or, hey, Jim Knowles, you don't have these NFL defenders. Let's chill out a little bit in the Michigan game. Definitely the latter, because another important variable in that is Luke Fickle, uh, Greg Schiano called that with clearly the better the better matchup versus a bad quarterback. So, of course it was going to work out in their favor. Ohio State 2022, Tommy Eichenberg's pretty good. Steel Chambers is pretty good. The secondary is not. There is not an NFL-level guy in that secondary. And we don't know how that – because the two guys who were – the three guys who were NFL eligible after the season, none of them got drafted. Cam Brown, Ronnie Hickman, and Tanner McAllister. And then you've got an inj- a Denzel Burke who's still trying to fight back from being from – in- from injuries, multiple injuries. While Michigan's quarterback is a clear NFL quarterback. Now, whether he's a first rounder or not, we'll see. But JJ McCarthy is better than Spates. And Raekwon McMillan, Jerome Baker, Chris Worley, and this secondary are better than anything Ohio State could have thrown at thrown at Spates. So it's just that's part of it here is 
You blitzed when you were the better option in 2016. You blitzed and you weren't the better option in 2022, and the better option won in both of those situations. I still find myself defending the Knowles decisions here a lot more than you guys do, and I for two reasons. Number one, I hear what you're saying, Doug, uh, as far as maybe waiting back and letting the quarterback make the mistake, uh, especially when it's Wilton Spate, but I think there's a fine line between that and letting the opposing letting the opponent dictate the terms of what's going on on the field. At times you have to be the one that takes the aggressive stance to disrupt things. And number two, there's also a long game here. It's not just about that one play. Um, The plays that you call um, throughout a season and early in a game dictate what the opponent's going to expect from you at different places late in the game, or, or, or you're playing in such a way that they don't know what to expect from you uh, at certain uh, junctures late in the game. So I still, it's definitely true that the odds of the plays that Jim Knowles called, whether it's the one you're talking about, whether it's the one against Notre Dame in the season opener, like they had a better chance of working with the talent that Ohio State had in 2016. But I don't think that means you can't bring blitzes and bring guys off the edge and bring corner blitzes at any point in the entire 2022 season. And you have to still be willing to come out and take those shots and put the pressure on the other team. You have to be unpredictable. Good discussion. I, I, I really, this is why we're doing this. It really, I just, I hope it's valuable to be. I hope it's entertaining. It's what we're talking about. Is about. Hey, let's look back and be entertained. 2016 to 2022 is not that long of a time. It's two versus three. It's different results. What do we learn? And so I, that's what we're trying to have these comparisons where we can compare 16 to 22 and how we think about it beyond the fact Ohio State won one game and lost one game. Kenny Guyton, next man up, Nathan. Did you have somebody for this other than maybe Curtis Samuel being next up to be everywhere and be everything right. for the entire Ohio State offense? I, mm-hmm. I tried to, to look up a few things, but I didn't have a great perspective on uh, other than I knew that you know Wilton Spate was almost like next man up for himself, like whether or not he was going to be able to play. Do you have anybody, Steven? Yeah, no, not that I can think of even coming into this game, and then there was no pivotal long-term injuries in this game where you can, oh, that's the next man up in a way that counted. So it kind of is just Curtis Samuel. This was not the plan coming into the 2016 season of JT Barrett left JT Barrett right, and when that doesn't work, hey, Curtis, can you save us? But that's what it ended up being two or three weeks into the season. And then, of course, the next right. man up. John up Cooper, if he'll bite, he'll bite. Mm. Oh, no, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Ryan, Day, Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson are the next men up. It is just a reminder. They did manage to win this game, but everything that happened against Clemson happened against Michigan. They Mm -hmm. just, the defense saved them in a way that, and Michigan gave it away. Michigan gave it away more than Ohio State's defense saved them because like the second pick, Jerome Baker makes a great pick. Wilton Spate just doesn't see a linebacker in the play. And then we'll get to the fumble in a little bit. But the combination of the difference between Deshaun Watson and Wilton Spate and the difference between a fully formed Clemson team that knows who it is that has won a national championship, like is about to win a national championship, that is just has been through the fire the year before, played Bama down to the wire in a national title game. Dabo's got it rolling a little bit, as opposed to Jim Harbaugh's in year two trying to figure it out. Like that, that's the difference. And honestly, that's the difference between. 31 nothing loss and a 30-27 double overtime win. It's the same Ohio State team that has a bunch of good defensive players, a completely incompetent offense from top to bottom, and 
Michigan couldn't exploit it in a way that Deshaun Watson and Clemson absolutely did. So this is just what it is. But now, 2022 Harbaugh is more like 2016 Dabo than he is like 2016 Harbaugh. And mm-hmm. he'd been to a Super Bowl and he'd been through it, but he was still trying to figure it out at Michigan at this point. In 2022, especially coming off a win in 21, he's got it figured out. Dabo had it figured out by the time they played Ohio State. So there's just there's just some things here. The pup, the pup, the pup. Steven, you want to talk about Nick Bosa. He's a pup. What do you think? Like I said before, Nick Bosa did not play enough snaps. He played around, what, like 361 snaps? This He didn't play enough this year. It was He's not just, you know, nipping. He is full grown. I am ready to be the best player, at least in the Big Ten, as a true freshman. And it should it's unfortunate we never got to see full Nick Bosa because of injuries and Larry Johnson's rotation decisions sometimes, but he was their best defensive end from the moment he stepped on campus. And every little moment he got, even in a game like that, he flashed it. Nathan, you did not get the opportunity to cover Nick Bosa at Ohio State. What was it like watching, even for 30 snaps, Nick Bosa, Ohio State freshman, do his thing? I mean, you could feel it. You felt it, I think, on the opening Michigan series of the game. He gets a quarterback hurry. In the the fourth quarter, there's a third down where Ohio State shows blitz and then backs off, and so it just goes with the the four-man rush, and he, as a freshman, wins the rush and gets a huge sack. Um, you feel it. And again, as we take things from the past and apply them to the current state of Ohio State football, you just haven't felt that. There have been good football players up front on this line. No no doubt about it. Zach Harrison is rightly a third-round pick, and there's some good guys coming back this next year. But we haven't felt what that was since 2019 now. And I don't know if... The it's it's hard to say because, you know, last year, last year, they they could have still won it all, even though we weren't quite feeling that to that extent. But if you could feel it, if you had this kind of presence that was breaking through more often, I'm not saying somebody has to be Nick Bosa for an entire season. But if some configuration of that front can start to have a more palpable, uh, intimidating effect on opposing offenses, then maybe that makes the one-point difference against Georgia. Maybe that is how you win that national championship. I think if somebody, if either JT Tuimaloa or Jack Sawyer or Kenyatta Jackson or Caden, if any of those guys are as good as freshman Nick Bosa, that is a huge step up, which Mm. is like how high I am on what Nick Bosa could have been at Ohio State. That's I am taking freshman Nick Bosa – over any defensive end production over the past three seasons. Very very easily. I think that's right. Nick Bosa in 2016, 361 snaps. Tyquan Lewis, 580. Sam Hubbard, 531. Both excellent players. Jalen Holmes, 404. But Jalen Holmes, uh, you know, plays a little tackle as well. That That is just mm-hmm. a, like, that's a big drop. And as much as we sort of, you know, you talk about the rotation. Oh, they have four guys. It's like, it's not It's not an even rotation. And who's the best player? Even then, like, who's the best player? So they they played Nick more at the end of the year. They eased him in early. His snaps by games, 21-19-19, 22-29, 36 against Wisconsin, 
29 Penn State, 34, 21, 30, 23, 32 against Michigan, 46 against Clemson. When it was like, hey, uh, what should we do against Clemson? It's like, I don't know, maybe play your best players and try to stop them before they drop 31 on your head. It's like, okay, let's play Nick Bosomore. And it still didn't work. So that idea, this is, you know, this is a really good one because it's it's the beginning. But even as it being a beginning, it's all there. It's just not allowed. It's almost one of those things, Stephen, where you wish if you could go back and tell Larry Johnson, hey, listen, man, he's going to rip his stomach in half in the middle of the third game of 2018. You get two seasons and two and a half games of this guy. Do you want to maybe get the freshman snap count more towards 500 instead of 361? And I, he probably won because you got to give Sam and Taekwon and Jalen their their due. But don't, man, you don't you don't have to give them their due. You just don't. Second highest graded player in the Michigan game defensively behind Jerome Baker. You don't have to give the upperclassmen their due, Larry. You don't have to do it. You don't. You just don't. I. This is the we do this a lot, obviously, and we're, it's never going to stop. The five-star freshman comes in here, and we just start asking, so when's he going to play? So when's he going to play? When you go play the five-star freshman? I know this guy's got experience, but five-star freshman. This is the one that I, I, I was obviously wasn't here either in 2016. I probably would have harped on it every single time we talked to a defensive coach because this is the one where it feels most validated because you're seeing the little flashes, and it's like, hey, Larry – Nick has like five sacks and you're barely playing him. Do you think he could have 12 if you just decided to play him 600 snaps? And it's like, well, you know, you got to bring him up. No, no, no. I'm saying that he's already kind of doing it. Why isn't you, why aren't you allowing him to do it more? This is the one five-star freshman. Why is he not playing more? Where I think the media would have been right to continue to harp on it for six months. Because this is not – that's 361 snaps is not enough. I understand he was coming off of an injury in high school, so that's probably why you slow played him a little bit. But once he was rolling, averaging, what, like 28 snaps a week is not enough for this dude. And then you do get to 2017 when all these guys are back. It's the same mm-hmm. four, and it's practically exactly equal. It's almost impossible how they did this. In 2017, Jalen Holmes and Nick Bosa each play 536 snaps. Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard each play 529. Like that, you could over a full season. How do you do that? So they do even it out, but then you look at the PFF grades. Lewis, Hubbard, and Holmes are all in the high 70s. Nick Bosa is 93.7. So it should have been even when he was a freshman. And then when he was a sophomore, he should have played 900, and everybody else can figure it out. And by the way, Chase Young's a freshman and plays fewer than 200 snaps that year because they're letting the four old guys all play. So it is – it's hard. They just did not – you didn't get as much Nick Bosa as you should. I don't think he played 1,000 snaps at Ohio State. There are guys who play practically a thousand defensive snaps in one season. Sometimes I don't think he played a thousand his whole career. Barely got over a thousand and ten snaps Ugh, when it should that's... have been more like sixteen hundred snaps. Which yep. I know is a hyperbolic thing to say, but no, dude, play him. And you want to know why you should have played him? Look at what the Forty ers are getting right now. Yeah, maybe that's why the Forty ers are getting it because Ohio State was like, ah, we're good. We'll chill out on it. A that little was bit. a trip. That was a trade off. That was a trade off. The Forty ers sent. Ryan Day, and then Ohio State. <laughs> Ohio State sent the second number two pick to be named later, and it was Nick Bosa. Listen, we'll give you Ryan Day, but just 
put that Bosa guy on ice for a while. I want to make sure he's fresh so he can lead us to a Super Bowl. Ted Ginn Jr. speed moment. Nathan, does anybody look fast in this game? Is there a fast person in this game? Paris Campbell didn't have a catch. Paris Campbell is fast. They threw him the ball once and he dropped it, which was kind of the thing with early Paris Campbell. Was there a fast Noah Brown who's like gigantic? but is not a fast risk. Like, who is fast? Who is fast, indeed. I mean, I, actually, Noah Brown factored into my facetious answer, which was how fast that Michigan DB Thomas hit the turf after that crackback block. I mean, I'll give... So listen, if GT Barrett's going to throw the ball that poorly, he has to augment it somehow. And there was the big run in the fourth quarter where uh, the defense just forgot to uh-huh. populate the middle of the field at all, and he just broke off for a long run. But that wasn't really necessarily something he did, like, with his speed. There was just nobody to run by. Peppers, like, eventually was able to kind of catch him from behind. Um, but, no, this was not this was not the modern Ohio State-Michigan game. Even, you know, with, with even with what Michigan does right now with being a run-leaning offense so heavily, um, those guys can scoot, as we saw last year with what Donovan Edwards did to put that game away in the fourth quarter. So, it's, again, this this – this is your father's Ohio State Michigan game. I thought the Paris Campbell drop was beautiful because it just it just encapsulates the idea that you can't Paris Campbell is awesome, but you can't give him the ball past the line of scrimmage, or he's probably not going. He's probably going to drop it. But it's also like that dude's going to be a second round draft pick in two years. So what do you make of that? I am giving the speed award to Jordan Lewis and Jabril Peppers for because um, um, just. I was at this game and there's a whole story about how that ended up happening. That's I'll say it for a later day, but those two kick returns, the 45 yard and the 44 yarder, I've never felt a fan base heart going to its stomach more than on those two kick, kick returns because those could have gotten bad very quickly. No, the, there is like, it's a reminder. Jabril Peppers is a dude here. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is, it's like, we're talking about who are the dudes in this game? It's Curtis Samuel and Jabril Peppers, who are the dudes who were really dangerous with the ball in their hands. All right. When we come back, final categories for 2016 Ohio State Michigan next on Buckeye Talk. Style check. This is where we say, oh, man, what did we learn from this? I, I do think we can drop LeBron in here. And it's funny, one of the things that happened during this game, it's not just LeBron James who is here. Like, all the Cavs are there with him. Tristan Thompson is there, and J.R. Smith is there. And J.R. Smith does a video during the game asking if, could they play college football? Do they still have eligibility for that? Because they played college basketball. It's kind of like a funny, hey, what if LeBron James and J.R. Smith came back and played college football? And then J.R. Smith went back when he was done playing basketball and played college Mm. golf. And so the style is like he was legitimately asking. Jared Smith is like in the box being like, do I have eligibility in another sport? I'm actually asking. And everybody was like, hey, hey, what do you think of this? JR's being crazy. And then he found out. He was like, yes, you do. He was like, great. But I'm not going to play football. I'm going to play golf. Steven, this is kind of cool. It's like LeBron and all the Cavs are dancing on the sideline after an Ohio State touchdown. Like, they are into it. This is a big thing for Ohio State. Like, hey, we want people to like us. And by the way, LeBron James, who had never been to an Ohio State-Michigan game before, he's always welcome, but, like, he's at the game and he brought his friends. This is a heck of a six months to just be living in Ohio. Kent State grad, so 
June, come back from 3-1, win the NBA title. So that parade, which is ridiculous. And then I think the RNC, no, it was the RNCs in Cleveland that year. So that's another big thing going on in Cleveland. And then you get to this season, the Indians go to the world, the world series that year and obviously blow a three, one lead, but that's not as big of a deal in baseball to my understanding. That's happened a lot of times, but then you get to this. It's almost like the core, the final step on their parade of what the Cavs have been doing basically since they won the NBA title is being all over the place in Ohio. And now they're here and what and the, is the biggest game of the year, at least the biggest game of the weekend, the weekend and the NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers are all here. It's not just LeBron James, it's Kyrie Irving, it's J.R. Smith, it's Richard Jefferson, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love. They're all just walking around the sideline literally the entire game. It was kind of a big thing for Cleveland.com. It was sort of like, hey, what should we cover the game or should we just write 19 LeBron James stories about LeBron James watch the game, Nathan? So it was, I mean, this is, you make a good point, Stephen. Like, this is a this is a great time to be alive as a yeah. as a sports fan um, in Ohio. So I guess they did, uh, the, the Cavs players left at the end of the third quarter. And they watched the end of it on the plane, and Tyron Lue talked to Urban Meyer after the game, but they could not stay the whole time. So um, that was kind of cool. Uh, Nathan, did you have anything else from like a style check uh, standpoint, looking back in the Wayback Machine to 2016? I do. And listen, I have maybe a reputation for being uh, a turd in the punch bowl at times, and I don't try to be. In fact, uh, when it comes to alternate uniforms, I actually am a big fan of them in the right context. Um, I'm a big fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. I grew up a big St. Louis Cardinals fan. I like when they wear the powder blues. I like when they wear the old, like, Stan Musial, Bob Gibson era throwbacks. But they don't wear those in the playoffs in the World Series. For your big games, and you have a classic uniform, you don't screw around with it. These uniforms are terrible, and they should not have been wearing them for this game. They like mixed in the play- the jerseys they typically wear in the playoffs, the old school jerseys with the sleeves. I hate these helmets. They're awful. So They're I awful. hate these, and I hate those. I hate and it's, it's these ones, and then there's the white ones that have the numbers on them. Dear Ohio State, please never wear them again. I don't know how you can have an Ohio State football so, game. They're on the field against Michigan, and they're not wearing helmets with Buckeyes on them. That's insane to me. But Michigan has like their their sticker helmets on. Exactly. Like that's it looks stupid. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I think the jerseys were perfect for this game because they give you a visual representation of what you're getting ready to watch for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> so so the helmets, they're just wearing like black helmets. It looks mm-hmm. like they just took their cool silver yeah, helmets with like buckeye leaves and just spray painted them black. Yep. And they're matte. Yeah, like they're not shiny at all with, with like the scarlet jersey. So that black helmet is just very, very odd. They've leaned into wearing like the black jerseys and stuff at times, but like the black helmet with no leaves is just a very odd choice. And this was always the thing that I pounded the table about, Nathan, when they started doing this is like, do the special jerseys for the less interesting games. The game right. stands on its own. When you look back historically, for instance, when people do rewatch podcasts, you want to look like you look. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get your school picture taken. If you don't have a mohawk, 
don't cut your hair into a mohawk the day before school pictures because then people will look back and be like, oh, it's your graduation party. In third grade, you had a mohawk. And you'll say, no, I had it for a week. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, if you had a mohawk the whole year, great. You want that moment to capture. There's a certain moment. The Ohio State-Michigan game should capture what that season is about. And when you're wearing black helmets that you spray painted 15 minutes before the game, it's like, man, they wore black helmets that whole year. No, they wore them once. But Nike was like, no, we're paying you for the famous games. So that's why they did this. Again, wear them every other week. And I'm sure there's somebody who's listening out there who sends a text later and be like, hey, you probably don't remember or you weren't aware, but this is why they did that this year. And I'm telling you, I don't care. These look terrible. When I turned this game on, yeah. I turned this game on and it started to play because it went right into the kickoff. Like I, I, I zipped ahead of all the other stuff. Um, I thought, oh, wait, did I click on Michigan, Maryland? Like this isn't the right game. Like, it took me a second to realize it actually was Ohio State out there. That is not what the Michigan Ohio State game is supposed to be. It's not real. Put the real uniforms. And if they try to pull that crap again, I'll be the first one to write something ripping them for doing it. No, you won't. <laughs> We're gonna. We're all three. You guys are fighting. We have to agree. We're, just, we have to agree. We are racing to this because this is this is ridiculous. I I, I am I, for, I, however, the you how UCLA and USC both wore their home jerseys in the rivalry game. I would be up for that because that could visually could look cool. But this never do this again. Yeah, I don't. I don't care. That that would be fine for me too. I just. I'm actually glad you were the one that I thought would maybe push back on me on this and i want to be clear i'm not no. saying that these uniforms i mean i kind of don't like these uniforms anyway but these uniforms worn any of the other 11 games of the season first 11 games of the season i think would have been fine you can't wear them for this game and i am saying you should never wear them again for any game <laughs> I, wear I never want to see these. no i know no there's plenty of other helmets to choose from that also have buckeye leaves on them wear those never bring these out again Burn them. Burn the, what, what, what did Michael B. Jordan say in Black Panther? Burn it all. Every helmet. Burn it. <laughs> this is uh, this is the most fiery I think we've gotten on Style Check in Retalkables. We're mad about this one. I like it. Meme it. They did. We got to talk about the field goal kicker. Let's talk about it now. If you think Noah Ruggles didn't come through this game, Tyler Durbin who, if you could have given me 10,000 guesses who the Ohio State field goal cooker was in 2016, I never would have gotten there. He misses a 37-yarder. He misses a 20-yarder. And then he has to kick a 23-yarder on the last play of the game to tie it to send it to overtime. It is like a nine-iron, please let this go through. It is not a normal human swing of a leg. I think after he missed the 20 yarder, they go into the stands and there are just surrender cobras all over Ohio Stadium. One of them by kind of a slightly overweight man wearing no shirt, a Buckeye nut necklace, and a wool cap that looks like a, it actually is the design, like, you know, the winter cap that looks like an Ohio State helmet. I'm surprised they didn't make him take it off and wear just a black hat that day because they were wearing black helmets. This is the actual Ohio State helmet. And he's surrender cobring with no shirt on. And it was like, well, that could be a thing if they would have lost. But, you know, there's a lot of things happening here. Nathan, what did you think we could have been a meme? Well, yeah, I mean, that was one of them. I mean, there's people, I love reactions in the background of sports stuff. Like maybe my favorite sports TV moment of all time is the uh, Albert Pujols home run off of Brad Lidge. And there's just like the people are just having their souls destroyed in the background. Astros won the series, whatever. But 
there are reactions in the crowd behind that field goal that are like people are watching a toddler walk out into traffic. Like it's <laughs> like they're seeing the most horrific thing and they can't stop it and it's just going to happen. Um, the other one I thought, so Harbaugh throwing the play card in his headset, I thought would make for a good GIF uh, or GIF, however you want to pronounce it these days. And then uh, going back to the field goal, though, Urban Meyer's face after the second missed field goal could have been a, a meme unto itself. Like there's just, his soul has left his body. He doesn't really know what to say or think at that point, And there's still a lot of football ahead of him. I don't know what year it was, but there was a year where Ohio State was playing a game and when they came back from a break, they were showing the field goal kickers practicing pregame and Urban Meyer. The reason they pointed out was because Urban Meyer was literally standing directly behind the field goal kickers, adding even more pressure on them to make sure they made these kicks. It would seem like Durbin could have used that a little bit more in practice this year, just having Urban Meyer stare you down while you miss field goal after field goal after field goal, feeling like, I don't know if my scholarship is still going to <laughs> run through after this game or not. But so that's definitely a meme. But come on, man. It's it's hardball. It's the spot. It's 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 gotta be oh, yeah. it's with, it, with it the, has the, to be. the hands. With the hands. Yeah, because it's still relevant to this day. Anytime someone is in a situation where they might be sure or they might have got it, what do you do? You throw up the hardball press conference. It's beautiful. It's one I think it's one it's up there in, in meme hall of fame with the crying MJ. That's exactly right. They're actually there's a meme from this game. It's you know, it's from Literally. the post game news conference, but it's Jim yeah. Harbaugh with his hands apart saying Okay, did JT Barrett make it or not on the fourth down run in the second overtime? And he's indicating where he thought he was this short of it. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the Maurice Claret game-saving moment then. And we have to do talk about this. Let's just talk about this this sequence of plays, even if you guys have other things, because there are huge other things that happen. The sequence of plays, it's the second overtime. Both teams score touchdowns in the first overtime. Michigan kicks a field goal to start the second overtime. Ohio State... I think it's like five yards on first down. They give up a sack on second down because Isaiah Prince gets smoked by Taco Charlton. It's third and nine. They throw a swing pass to, to Curtis Samuel that is dead before the play starts, and he somehow runs. They throw it to the right. He runs back to the left. He runs back to the right. He runs back to the left and gets eight and three-quarters yards. They go for it on fourth down. JT, Barry, JT Barrett runs it. He runs into the back of A.J. Alexander in his butt and comes either – an inch short or an inch past the marker. If they're stopped there, the game's over. It's a fourth down. They don't get it. Michigan wins. It is a first down. The next play, they hand it to Curtis Samuel. They get a convoy to the left, and he runs in for the game-winning touchdown with his arms spread wide. And among the great photographs from that game, our Marvin Fong at Cleveland.com mm-hmm. got it. That's in our archive. We got it. It's almost like, you know, Curtis Samuel with his arms, like, spread to the heavens, like we did this. That sequence, that spot, Nathan, you weren't covering that. Did that hit your world at all? Like that, this again, and as we're trying to compare, and let's have this part of the conversation. We're trying to compare 16 to 22. All they have, it's just a guy with a chain, man. Take away any, take away the football. It's just the way they measured it. It's where the, how the dude spotted it. It's, it's out of JT Barrett's hands by this point. It's out of Jim Harbaugh's hands and Urban Meyer's hands. It's in the hands of the guy, the ref spotting it, the official spotting it, and the dude with the chain. 
And if it's a couple inches off, Ohio State loses this game. How much differently would we think about everything with Harbaugh versus Meyer, with the status of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, if the guy spotted it slightly different, Nathan, and Ohio State loses this game? Oh, I think it changes a lot. I mean, even if the succeeding games still play out the same way they do, the fact that Urban Meyer wouldn't have been undefeated against Michigan, the fact that Harbaugh would have gotten that chip off his shoulder earlier than he did against Ohio State, I mean, maybe it even changes the outcome of some of the games that, that come along after that. Obviously, Michigan then most likely goes on and makes the playoff. I mean, they go to the Big Ten Championship game. They're in a very good position to then make the playoff five years ahead of when they finally make the playoff. It So it's, it certainly changes the trajectory and momentum that that program has and it comes down to you know an inch one way or the other and and I remember the play not as vividly as as those who were covering it or maybe even someone like Steven who was closer to it but like I I I remember it happening back then and, and watching it today um I think I think it played out correctly I don't know whether he got it or not but I think you make the best call that you could on the field and then I don't think replay was conclusive either way. So I think that's how it should have gone. Um, sh- shout, out, shout out to JT Bears, but, you know, that always helps. I don't – I don't know. Um, and this is – I mentioned this earlier with the coaching moment. I wonder if Urban Meyer just kicks the field goal if Durbin hadn't already missed two. Under the same guys we were talking about with Mich- Michigan just kicking the field goal of, like, our defense can get the stop we need. I, that's, that was the other coaching moment I wanted to bring up, but I, I wanted to get to this conversation first. I don't know how much changes from a trajectory standpoint. I think literally the only thing that changes is Urban Meyer is 6-1 and one instead of 7-0. and oh. And the reason I think that is Chase Young and Jeff Okuda are at this game on visits. They still are coming here. That 17 – J.K. Dobbins is here as well. That 17 class is still coming. And the 18 class is still coming. And I understand what it turned out to be now now on the other side of it. But at that moment, back-to-back number two classes in the country, that meant something. Michigan just wasn't recruiting at that level yet. And I'm not sure that a playoff appearance would have been the thing that gets the uptick. I think their playoff appearance would have been very similar to Michigan State's. Where you get there, it's very obvious you don't belong. And then you keep chugging along as normal. So I still think we get here where Harbaugh is in year, what, six or seven at this point, and now they're a legitimate playoff team where Ohio State legitimately might lose this game on a year-to-year basis. But I do think everything else from a Michigan's trajectory to getting to this point, Ohio State's trajectory to getting to this point, still happens. And in fact, for Ohio State, it even more emphasizes that you need to like revamp your quarterback play and your offensive play because it didn't even beat Michigan. And it's on Ryan Day is really Jim Knowles then, because that's the reason Jim Knowles got hired, is what happened at the end of the year on top of everything that had been leading up to what happened in that 21 Michigan game. It had been the same situation here, where you lost to Penn State and early on in that season, which was partially because of some of the stuff that you couldn't get done offensively. And then Michigan even more stamped that the offense is the problem. But everything else, I think, plays out the exact same way because these programs are still going down the path they're going down. You know, I think you've swayed me on that, Stephen, because I would have, I thought I was going to say, okay, well, it just starts, everything that's happening now just starts earlier. 
It's like, all right, Harbaugh beat Michigan. He's never going to be. Harbaugh beat Ohio State. He's never going to be 0-5 against Ohio State. But as we sit here today, the issue is not that Ohio State lost to Michigan. The issue is that Ohio State lost to Michigan twice in a row. Mm -hmm. I do think fans accept a blip. And this would have been viewed, I think, as a blip. Because if the spot goes against Ohio State, now Ohio State fans complain, can complain about the spot. I do think it's very possible that Michigan goes on. And, and as you were saying, Stephen, like they don't build off of it. I also think they got might have gotten smoked against Clemson the same way Ohio State got smoked mm-hmm. against Clemson. Like it's okay. Ohio State couldn't compete. Wilton Spate? Wait, that Michigan defense? Like I don't. Like Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore and Nick Bosa couldn't stop the Sean Watson, but the Michigan defense is going to stop Sean Watson. Mm-hmm. So they go. And then Ohio State made the changes they were going to make. So they made them after they beat Michigan. They certainly were, they would have made them anyway. So Ryan Day and then Ryan Day and Urban Meyer dropped those bombs on Michigan and Don Brown in 17 and 18 the same way. And it's a flip. And it is. Urban 6-1 and one instead of 7-0. and oh. Ah, Harbaugh, he still stinks. He got lucky in that one game. Because... That's what Ohio State fans thought 21 was. And I do think they were kind of understanding of that. Listen, you're not going to win 60 years in a row. Blips are blips. When everyone got upset and worried, Nathan, is, oh, now it's not a blip. This would have been a blip. And I don't think it, I don't think anything would have happened to prevent it from being a blip. And so it is interesting to think about as much as it's like, hey, what if? I do think the answer is more like, well, I, 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 I don't know. It's just, it's a little less cool for urban. And I'm not so sure. Like it almost wouldn't have, like urban's undefeated against Michigan. Oh my gosh. We could never lose to Michigan. It's one of these things I hear. I'm now, now I'm nine and three, Doug. I'm going to be like, Doug thinks Ohio <laughs> state needs a rich rod, Doug. So like, Oh, urban could have used a loss against Michigan. Like I'm not quite there, but I do think it would. Tress is an undefeated. Tress is nine and one mm-hmm. after Oh three people didn't want to fire Tress. So I don't know. I, I think that that could be pretty close to right. But again, the stuff about this day thing that goes on, there are people who are triangulating with angles on the spot. And let me show you this replay from this camera and that the spot has remained this kind of thing. But I will say, feels like we don't talk about the spot as much now as people were sort of before, because A, Michigan fans don't have to try to hang on to the time they got screwed because they have two actual wins now. And Ohio State fans aren't like, ha-ha, cram it, Michigan, you and your whining, because, oh, Michigan's won twice in a row. So the spot, while Ohio, while Harbaugh was still an offer against Ohio State, the spot was, was a bigger deal in the rivalry. And now it's just kind of a thing that helped Ohio State win this game, maybe justifiably. I think he might have gotten it. But that's not what anyone's thinking about right now, Nathan. If we tried to go have a spot conversation – with a bunch of Ohio State fans, they'd be like, "What are you, what are you talking about? Can they def- can Ohio State defend JJ McCarthy? Who cares about the spot?" Yeah, and I, I don't think it necessarily changes a lot from Ohio State's trajectory. I will say though, the thing that hung around Jim Harbaugh really until 2021 was not that he couldn't beat Ohio State alone; it was that they couldn't win a big game, period. And so again, you're taking that, you're checking that box five years earlier than that, all the way back in 2016. I just, I don't know what that means in terms of how that program 
goes about its business day to day to kind of have that off your back a little bit. And um, and we also don't know. I, I, I agree that it's not going to make a huge there's not going to be huge ramifications for the next signing class. That's already in the bag by then. But you usually tend to see when you have breakthroughs, it's going to affect classes two, three years down the road. So does again, does does Michigan get a quarterback here? Does it get other impact players here a year or two ahead of schedule because of that game? I, I don't know that we can say for sure one way or the other, but it certainly wasn't a positive thing for Michigan that it took them until 2021 to finally have this breakthrough. I do think maybe even as much of a game-changing moment as Wilton Spate just dropping the ball on the two-yard line. This is Ohio State's defense does nothing. Michigan is about to go in for a touchdown, and he just fumbles the snap. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get in because they did get in later on. Like they took them three times to ram it in, as you were saying, Nathan, with the, the nine fullbacks in the game. But it's just seven points that Michigan gave away. And it was not because of Ohio State. And so that idea in a game like this that's tied at 17 at the end of regulation and Michigan's quarterback gave away a touchdown because he dropped the snap at the two yard line. Nathan, I think like if they score there, I think Michigan wins. I don't, I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's any discussion at all because they had, they were just going to start pulling away. I think. I mean, it's that, and it's the, the Malik Hooker pick six when this offense couldn't do anything. And you you gave the other team points when it couldn't create them itself. And you could say that about the Jerome Baker interception late in the third quarter, which is probably even the more um, consequential play in some ways, like just because of the stage of the game. I mean, that's that's those three plays turn out to be basically a 21 point swing that Michigan is just giving away. And I think that's to the point of how this maybe changes things. This is it's a good reflection of where the Michigan program is two years in the Harbaugh era because of what he had to, you know, he was climbing out of a hole there because of the two coaching hires because of him. Michigan wasn't ready to go win this football game. They were ready. They were still in a situation from a talent situation of the same way you see with other teams when Ohio state kind of plays with its food. It's like, dude, you better take advantage of every opportunity because all Ohio state's got to do is turn the light on for like 14 minutes and they're probably going to win the game. You can't give them reason. Oh, you can't give them an alleyway. You have to cut off every single escape hatch. And Michigan wasn't necessarily ready to do that in 2016 with where their talent was, where their coaching was, where their development was. In 2021 and 2022, they were ready to do that because just to say the 2021 game, what if those first three plays in the of the second half go differently for Ohio State? It's not three straight runs that go nowhere. I don't know if 2016 Michigan stuffs Ohio State three straight times in the run game to open up a half. I don't know if Michigan never – I don't know if 2016 Michigan goes forward on a fake punt on fourth down the way they did in 2022 to, and then goes on to score a touchdown because they weren't ready to do that stuff yet. They were still trying to establish something there that has paid off here clearly five, six years later. All right, let's ask one of the ultimate questions here, Nathan. Does this look like a championship Ohio State team? Uh, it does not, and it was not. was not even a Big Ten championship team. Steven's laughing. I guess that's a no from you, Steven. I literally put in my notes for this question, LOL in all caps. <laughs> so I really did make the point at the time that I thought Penn State should have made the playoff ahead of Ohio State. I, I thought yeah. that all along. Penn State has two losses, but they had the head-to-head win. They're playing better at the end of the year. 
Penn State goes on and plays a humdinger of a Rose Bowl against USC. They lose, but they look incredibly more competent than Ohio State does against Clemson. Um, this is uh, like they they do. This team went to Oklahoma and won, right? Mm-hmm. That's like a, this team won, beat a good Wisconsin team. Like this team, this team did fight, but this team was so flawed, and it was so reliant on its defense. And so there are really good things about this secondary and about this defensive. I mean, the whole defense, the whole defense, the whole defense. And again, the point you guys made earlier about Luke Fickle and like, remember Luke was really good at this and really important to what they did, but it's just so far removed. Think about watching it in reverse for both teams. Cause neither of them look like a championship team. They're two versus three. Neither of them look like a championship team. We are preparing for a Clemson, Alabama national championship game for the second year in a row. And Ohio State, Michigan was a two versus three game that you just would have said, I, how is the Big Ten ever? How did Ohio State win a national championship in 2014? And how is the Big Ten ever going to compete again? This is ridiculous. And that's the world that they were in. Nathan, what if this was the 2022 game and the 2022 game was the 2016 game? And it felt like these teams were, oh, well, I remember once upon a time when like they had actually scored points or like, oh, that. They only scored three points in the second half, but it looks like CJ Stroud could complete a pass of 15 yards or longer on like JT Barrett, you know, like it's just, it would be, it would be, people would be up in arms about the state of Ohio state football. If, if this is what the Buckeyes looked at, looked like in the current form. Yeah. I mean, this game is the case for playoff expansion because that this Ohio state team got in and, and it never should have. Kind of, yeah. yeah. That that there's these power five teams, and maybe sometimes the most historic power five teams get a, a benefit of the doubt sometimes uh, that a program with a similar record doesn't get. And I think that uh, opening up to more teams makes teams like this prove it. Um, I remember last year when we got Gene right after the announcement that USC and UCLA were coming to the Big Ten. And I'm going to use that to help answer the question you just asked of what if this was the 2022 game and the 2022 game was 2016. Gene Smith said something very that I think has been very interesting. We all thought it was interesting. Having somebody help carry the weight of the Big Ten with you. And that's what USC football is coming to help Ohio State do. I don't think that would be perception if that was the game that was just played six months ago. I think the perception would be that USC is coming to save the Big Ten. Mm. because Caleb Williams, Caleb, well, Caleb's not going to be here, but uh, Lincoln Riley and his elite quarterback play is coming to save the Big Ten's national championship hopes because Ohio State is clearly headed in the wrong direction and Michigan has not figured it out yet under a hard ball. And James Franklin is still at Penn State and they have never taken that step. Please, USC, come save us on the national stage. No, I, I, I think that's right. Um, it, you just, you, Ohio state fans would not be happy if this was what Ohio state football was right now. They just wouldn't. Enjoyment meter scale of one to a thousand. How much fun was this to watch for a typical college football fan? Steven, what'd you have for this? For a typical college football fan, I had four fifty because it's still a two, three game. And I think in the moment, on paper, double overtime game in the greatest rivalry in sports where the two and three sounds cool. 
And I think in 2016, you would have said it's probably like a 650 or maybe even an 850. But six, six years later, you actually watch this game. And it's just, it's not a good football game. The on paper stuff is awesome, but the actual football product is so bad that unless you're there in that environment, which was a really dope environment for someone who was 22 at that point, it's not a good football game to just watch. What'd you have, Nathan? I have 685, but for a lot of the same reasons. I mean, it is still double overtime with playoff implications, the two versus three, all those things. But for a one. For a pivotal football game and a game that's sort of considered historic by some people, how many of the pivotal plays in this game are turnovers, missed field goals, or one of the stupidest PIs in the history of recent college football that one that Michigan has late in this game? Like those, those are the pivotal plays of this game. And in a disputed, it, it comes down to a disputed: is replay going to hold this up or not? Biggest play of the game. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's 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 a it's it's all the great buildup and not the great execution. They didn't stick the landing on this, and it's not good turnovers where somebody on defense just made an awesome play where it's like, oh, what are you gonna do? They're just like inept, bad calls and terrible execution on offense. Yeah, it, it's like it's close, but it's not good. So yes. I had like a. I had a 400. From an Ohio State perspective, Nathan, what did you have? The Buckeye enjoyment meter. How would you rate it? Well, I, I think this is going to be quite a bit higher because, again, you got to put yourself in the moment. Like, it's it's unenjoyable for us to maybe watch because we have nothing riding on it six years later, seven years later. But in the moment, there was a lot riding on this game. You've got to keep the street going against Michigan. You have to um, – try to get into the playoff you're trying to win the big 10 and all those things end up coming true in a very thrilling fashion um so yes you're going to come out of this game with some concerns about any number of things including basically your entire offense and your kicking game so i said 903 steven what'd you have for your buckeye enjoyment meter i agree i was 888 and it's it's all the stuff that's actually happening in this game but it's also ohio state had been kicking michigan's butt for a couple of years because michigan sucked and so it's like here comes Michigan. It's really the first time of like a, here comes Michigan. Is this where things are going to turn? And no, they're not going to turn. Ohio State fans can continue to breathe because they're better than Michigan. And we wouldn't get a game like this again until maybe 2018, where you got kind of gotten that cycle of Ohio State kicks Michigan's butt for a couple of years. And then you get to a game where it feels like this might be the moment the rivalry turns and it, and it doesn't. So, yeah, I think it's like it's it's Ohio State fans already hate Harbaugh. By this point, and then you add the fact that Harbaugh is complaining after the loss oh, yeah. and doing the meme and stuff, even if he has reason to complain. But it's like it gave Ohio State fans. It's almost like a thousand because it's like I can't like they played terrible. They still found a way to win. It feels like we have a chance to make the playoff. We stuck it to Harbaugh, cram it Harbaugh, and now Harbaugh's whining. And it's like, oh, this is actually a great outcome. And then it's going to lead to the next two years, Ohio State just like destroying. Like it's like, this is mm -hmm. awesome. So it is like a pivotal kind of moment in the rivalry in the moment that like Ohio State fans like, well, even when we're not that good, Michigan still can't beat us. So I do think they're kind of, I mean, it's it really is more like a 500 game for the average fan and practically a 900 or a 1,000 game, I think, for an Ohio State fan. I'm looking at my story from that, day 
Through the first 49 minutes and 28 seconds, Michigan outgained Ohio State 273 yards to 152. Through the final 10 minutes and 32 seconds in regulation and overtime, Ohio State outgained Michigan 178 to 37. So Ohio State gained more yards in the final 10 minutes plus overtime than it did in the first 50 minutes while simultaneously like shutting Michigan down. So there is, I mean, I think at the end, because part of it was Ohio State marched, missed the 20-yard field goal, marched again, kicked the 23-yard field goal to get to overtime. Like when they needed gotta-have-it drives at the end, even though they were mostly JT Barrett runs, they did find a way to do that. It is funny in the moment the way people <laughs> the way people talk about things. Let me read this Urban Meyer quote from after the game that is just like having just watched that and just the discussion that we just had, it's like what are you talking about? This is Urban Meyer. This is one of the classic games of this rivalry because I know this rivalry as well as anybody. That's an instant classic between two great teams. We knew going in it was going to be that way. That's one of the best defenses we've ever gone against. They're like Jabril Peppers and Jordan Lewis got drafted off that defense. This is not a great defense. This is not an Aiden Hutchinson defense. It's Ohio State's is. This is not a Michigan defense filled with future NFL stars. It's just that Michigan was like good enough against that Ohio State offense. But Urban is just like, that's as good as it gets. And nobody else thinks that way because it was just it in reflection, Nathan, it's like it's rivalries are great and rivalries don't have to be pretty to conclude. I think we'll start. We'll go back to where we started, Nathan. It's hard to believe how different both these teams are six years later credit to everybody involved that they've evolved to this point, because if this was going to be what Ohio state, Michigan still was, they'd be the big 10 would be in real trouble. As Steven said, USC would be coming to rescue this conference, not to add to this conference because there is no part of this, this two, three game, Nathan. And here's the thing. This is a two, three game, 10 years after the one, two game in 2006, the 2006 game, that was good enough. This is, mm-hmm. they've devolved. The 2006 teams would also beat the 2016 teams. So the 2022 teams would beat 2016, but so would 2006. There's no Troy Smith in this game. There's no Ted Ginn Jr. in this game. There's no James Laurinaitis. It's like, what are we talking about, Nathan? Well, Ray Clark McMillan, he's pretty good. But this is just, this is a very weird little window. And in the moment, just to confirm again, it really felt like, okay, Michigan's old. That's kind of what this was. Michigan's old. They're a really veteran team. This feels like their chance because Ohio State had reset after the 15 season. They lose all, they lose 10 guys to the first three rounds of the draft. So this is young, new Ohio State. And this is old veteran Michigan, which is why it felt like, okay, this is it, Michigan. But it turns out old veteran Michigan wasn't talented enough and new young Ohio State had no idea what it was doing. And the result was these teams did not deserve to be ranked two and three going into this game. I, I still think it, it it speaks to how quickly those teams were kind of adapting on the fly that Ohio State, again, as you say, I think astutely, it already you know had the makeover after 2015. It already had the 2017 signing class on deck coming in. But then on top of that, making the decisions 
to bring in Ryan Day and take this offense somewhere it wasn't. To, to realize that you had to exist on a higher plane, I, I think, is why then Ohio State had the 2017 through 2020 that it had, as opposed to what Michigan had for those four years. Michigan's epiphany didn't hit until it started making some of its own personnel changes going into 2021, and we saw how quickly some of those changes paid off. And I do, it makes me wonder a little bit, Stephen, like when we look back on the 2021 or 2022 Ohio State games in six years, would there be something that would be like, oh my God, like maybe, and we know what those flaws of these Ohio State teams were, but I I do think we'll look back on some of those 21 and 22 games and be like, man, Aiden Hutchinson was good, man. Marvin Harrison Jr. was good. Man, like there's there's still some just a talent discrepancy that just between 22 and 21 and, and what we see in 16 that's just remarkable. There's losing, and even if we can chalk it up to – we all knew Ohio State's defense wasn't very good in 2021, but you know they were good enough to at least compete because it, it's not the sole reason why they lost that day. They lost that day because Aiden Hutchinson proved he was the number two pick in the NFL draft, and that has nothing to do with their defense. It feels like this 2016 game just doesn't have any sophistication and it doesn't belong in the era it's playing football in. At least when we've looked at games like the 2006 game or when we've gone back and looked at the 60s and the 90s and the 80s, and we've all the games we've watched, even if it's the football isn't what it is today, it at least matches what football was for that era. This felt like two teams who were dinosaurs for where football was headed at that point. Because uh, Nathan made a point earlier with some of the quarterbacks that Urban Meyer has won with. He has won habitually with quarterbacks who aren't NFL talents. And he could get away with it because that's where college football was. The teams who had quarterbacks with NFL talent weren't the same teams who were winning national championships because that's just not how football was playing. This is the point when that started to change because – Remember, we're a year away from Jalen Hurts being pulled for the NFL. Well, Jalen Hurts is an NFL talent now, but being pulled for Tua. We're a year, we're two years away from Trevor Lawrence wiping the floor with Alabama National Championship. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson is a month away from wiping the floor from Ohio State. But both of these teams were still holding on to what the last decade had looked like for college football. And because of that, they looked like outsiders in an evolving college football landscape. That doesn't feel like that's on the table when we, I don't know, when you guys are a thousand years old and I'm 84 and we're doing the retalkable on the 21 and 22 teams. No, I think, I think this has been informative. I hope people take it that way. I would invite anybody to go watch this. It's on YouTube. You can find like a two hour and 40 minute cut of the game where you're going to get pretty much everything you need. That's what we watched. If you want to try to relive it, check out the helmets, check out LeBron James and J.R. Smith, check out Urban Meyer. Uh, we like doing this, and I, and I do think it it adds something to the retalkables when we're not just talking about the past. We're talking about how the past tells us something about the present, and I think this one does. Four, Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. We always appreciate you guys joining us. We like doing the retalkables. We like bringing you Buckeye Talk, and I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.